away the performance anxiety a little bit, just a little bit. Um, it's not a performance rod, I know. Uh, so I'm going to start, start by praying. Loving God, creator spirit, we thank you that um, we have this community. We thank you for the opportunity to, to talk to each other um, in the middle of the service and the reminder of the centrality of, of conversation and, um, and connection and affection in this place and that it's not, it's not about coming to uh, consume a product. Um, it's not about being a um, kind of anonymous consumer of something, but being a person, a unique person with a unique place in this community. Um, I thank you for the, the beautiful gifts that everyone brings just by being themselves, and I thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit is in all of that. Amen. Um, so welcome. I'm going to not to talk too much um, today. I'm going to get some other people to speak as well. Uh, we're right at the very end of a very long series on the Holy Spirit. And like last week, I'm not going to give you a long praise. I'm not going to give you any praise at all. Um, so you can just look back at nine months of podcasts if you want to catch up with what we're doing this morning. Um, but we've in a nutshell, been trying to find a way for a lot of us to reconnect with the Holy Spirit, uh, a lot of us having perhaps always found it difficult or having uh, had a particular experience or a particular formula for how you connect with the Holy Spirit and then that not really working for us anymore or us feeling burnt uh, by those experiences and so having some distance or some wariness about the Holy Spirit about talk of the Holy Spirit. Um, and this, the point of this series has been to try to um, help all of us as a community to find a way back to a relationship with Spirit. And this last month is just an opportunity to get, mainly get feedback from you about um, the series and the experience of the series and whether um, things have shifted you in any way, whether there are practices that are now part of your life that you find are helping you to connect with the Holy Spirit, um, and also a space, I guess, for people to talk about questions that remain for them. Um, so I'll just show you a couple of things first um, before we talk about those questions. Um, this is just a reminder, we've looked at this a few times in the last few weeks, of what it is that we hoped for at the very beginning of this series, you know, that we hoped for um, a way of including relationship and community and the world into our sense of the Holy Spirit rather than it just being a, a personal thing, me and the Holy Spirit, moving 
away from cynicism and fear. Um, trying to include the mystical into our sense of what the Holy Spirit was um, and the embodied. We also, um, I tried to put together this table as well, which may or may not be helpful, but um, this was my attempt to pull together a lot of the themes that had come up in the series of things that we wanted to move away from and things we wanted to move towards. And I added, I've added a few to this list um, from people's suggestions a couple of weeks ago when we looked at it. Um, I won't read the entire list, sorry for people at home, but um, I will just point out a few things that, um, one beautiful thing that uh, Asha suggested was this idea of accessibility versus inaccessibility in terms of uh, understanding of the spirit as a more embodied sense of the inclusive versus the exclusive. Um, we talked, yeah, so we talked towards moving towards um, childlikeness and creativity and play and vulnerability and risk, um, those kinds of things, rather than just busyness and drudgery and shame and control in terms of our sense of how the spirit would work. Humility rather than grandiosity, peace rather than just spectacle. We talked about a lot of these things, and I pointed out when, when I showed you the list initially that it's not about um, there being no place for the things on the away from side of the table. There is there's space for a lot of those things. Um, it's more about where we want to be moving as a community and where we think life might come, um, the direction of life and flourishing. Um, and again, uh, a few weeks ago, I shared this um, poem um, by Mickey Scott Bay Jones, who's an activist in the States. And um, I'll just quickly read it again to remind us of it. And this was a kind of a vision that we, we thought might be a way of encapsulating a lot of that table into an actual poem or a vision. Together we will create brave space because there is no such thing as a safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars and we have all caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and to continue to grow. We have the responsibility, responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be, but it will be our brave space together and we will work on it side by side. So today, in the light of that stuff, let's call it stuff, um, I wanted to invite people with um, perhaps more of a, a science-y, sceptical background to give us feedback on their experience of the series and um, how, how they've found it, how they've, where they find themselves now in relation to the Holy Spirit and um, practices of the Holy Spirit. For me personally, um, 
when it comes to the kind of skeptical, rational, scientific side of my brain, I guess I've been through a few phases. Uh, the first was kind of growing up in a church culture where um, I tried to silence that side of myself, um, which is where I love, I love the two lines in this poem, you know, that we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world, but we amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. And so I think, I think sometimes in, in churches, the voice of science is really turned down within the community, and there's no space for it. There's no space for people to speak out of that, that place or that side of themselves. Um, but I also think uh, and that in the outside world, often, uh, as we said a few months ago, science becomes the 800-pound gorilla in the room that will silence every other voice and every other perspective. Um, and that, that was my second experience, I guess, of that part of myself, that having had science silenced for me in my uh, church of origin, I then threw myself into reading um, science and almost listening only to scientific voices and finding that um, the, voice, the voice of science became so de deafening that there was no uh, space for any other voice, that everything else within me was silenced um, and... Um, so ultimately, where I found myself was trying to find a way of um, allowing the voice of science, the voice of reason, just like the other voices in my own head, to become part of a, a more gentle conversation um, where I guess the level of amplification was such that 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 scientific part of myself could be heard, but it wouldn't dominate. It wasn't silenced and it wasn't dominating. And I hope that in this community, um, not just obviously with science, but with all the kinds of parts of ourselves, all the voices that are, that are within us, that there is space for those voices to be heard and that we're trying to create a culture where it's a culture of, of gentle conversation, uh, where we're conscious of the voices that that might be silenced, and we're conscious of the voices that can dominate and that can silence, and we're trying to create a space where, um, where all those voices can be heard. And so I guess one of the things that I've, I've done is to try to find um, voices that speak in that kind of register. So finding sympathetic scientific atheists, finding scientists who are people of faith, finding theologians with a scientific bent, um, people who speak about science and faith in ways that are respectful of both, in ways that give space for both, and in ways that don't try to, to dumb down either, um, that don't try to create, also don't try to create um, a neat agreement between those two spheres that actually is not true to either of them. Um, so it's a, it's a very delicate dance. And, and as with the Bible itself, it's an ongoing conversation. Um, I don't think when it comes to science and, and faith, when it comes to reason and experience, um, the goal is not to collapse them into each other and to end up um, 
coming to some kind of conclusion where we don't need to keep talking, um, but it's to try to sustain the kind of conversation that is, is life-giving and that respects all the voices in the conversation. Sorry, I'll stop meandering. Um, but yeah, if you, um, I will, I think in the, in the coming week, I'll post some of the, um, some links to some of the, the voices and the people that I um, have really enjoyed listening to and reading um, in, this, in that space um, of the conversation between science and faith. Um, and yeah, if other people have recommendations, this would be a good week to, to share them and we can maybe put them on the, on the, the Facebook page. Um, but, yeah, I guess the bottom line for me is that um, just within this community but also within ourselves, um, we can't let different parts of ourselves crush each other and shout each other down. Um, so today is, is I want to open it up now. I've um, asked, a, I sent out an email to um, co-creators that's like our members during the week just to get people to think about this and uh, to put their hand up if they wanted to to say something about you know being from a scientific background and how they've experienced this series um, in the light of that background um, and um, Will and and Josh have both sort of agreed to say a little bit but when they've after they've spoken if other people want to um, want to say something uh, in answer to um, these two questions that I'm about to share with you, then that would be wonderful. So the two questions are basically, um, what are some practices that have helped you as a sciencey person to connect to faith and spirit, um, to open up space for the Holy Spirit without that needing to shut down um, the part of you that, it, that engages with science? And um, who are maybe people or ideas that have helped you within yourself to create a generous conversation rather than conflict between the kind of scientific side of yourself and the, the faith and spirit part of yourself. Um, so those are the two questions. Do you want me to repeat them? Is that no? Warwick's saying no, so it must be okay. Um, uh, do you want to speak from where you are? Or? Okay, yeah, so we'll get Will up first. He's worn a science T-shirt for us to let us know. All right. So um, I am a scientist, so, and I come from a background of scientists um, going back probably two or three generations. So um, uh, faith has always been a really tricky thing in my family. Um, and I only became a Christian probably two or three years ago as well. Um, and so this kind of... Uh, exploration has, has been fairly recent and quite challenging. Um, and so I suppose the second question is quite, quite pertinent to that part of things. But for the first part, um, which is the how do I, how do I experience the, the spirit, it's tricky. I think for me one of the, the big places is nature. Um, my original kind of tertiary education was in what would have once been um, the natural sciences or um, its ecology is what I did. And I did this in New Zealand and I used to just love being in nature. And I think that was the part where I could really 
switch off basically and just focus on all of the beauty that was around me. Um, and I, I kind of feel that having an understanding of what was going on, like community ecology and, and things like that, actually would bring nature far more alive for me. Whereas a lot of people say, you know, science is this kind of, um, you know, rational reductionist paradigm that, that reduces everything. And in fact, I think it's the exact opposite. Um, I'm really interested in what they call like the myofauna or the really small organisms. And, and knowing what's going on at that level, I think just makes the whole thing way more beautiful um, and kind of impressive. And, and if you think about, I, for me, that, that's kind of, I suppose, a spiritual experience. Um, but it's also, that's when I feel like, on the few occasions where I, I feel like the spirit has kind of spoken to me or, or, or like, that's really when I feel it the most. Um, and then the other one is through music, I suppose which is the totally artsy side. Music's probably the only vaguely artsy thing that I like. Um, um, that part of my brain doesn't get a lot of time. Um, but yeah, I suppose those are the two, the two parts for me. Um, but then who, so who have I read? I've read a lot. Um, so when I was wanting to become a Christian, I figured that the best place to find it would be in books because that's where I found out everything else I knew. Um, and so I did a lot of reading, and, and I, I reckon, obviously evolution is a really, really contentious topic for some people. It's not for me, so I'm an evolutionary biologist by training. I have a PhD in, in evolutionary biology, um, and I actually think it works quite nicely with religion, but uh, Francis S. Collins is a, um, a brilliant, brilliant scientist and medical doctor um, he was the head of the Human Genome Project. He's now the head of the National Institutes of Health in the US, um, and he's also a devout Christian. Um, and he has a, an organization called BioLogos, which is all about um, reconciling both faith and science. Um, and he has this beautiful book called The Language of God, um, which is all about reconciling faith and science. And he focuses mostly on evolutionary biology, um, but um, yeah, I think I think he does it. He does it very gently. Um, whereas you got like Dawkins, who I used to love. I mean, I was a fire-breathing atheist for ages, and I'd you know hold his books up like the Bible. Um, but he's far too aggressive. Um, the other um, John Lennox is really good, although he's a mathematician, um, and I'm not as as kind of math-oriented. But he has written some really really good books on it. Um, but probably my favorite resource that really helped me was also this thing called the Veritas Forum. It's a YouTube channel um, that facilitates discussion between academics um, in different fields. One is usually an atheist and one is usually a person of faith um, or maybe agnostic. Uh, and, and they're very, very calm discussions. So they never get fiery or anything like that. And it's, it's a good way to look for some, for some, I don't know, kind of peaceful information. But I mean, Timothy Keller's been on, that's the first way I saw it was, was Timothy Keller. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thanks, Will. Did, did you want to come up? Yeah, why not? So Josh is going to 
say something. And then, if yeah, we'll open it up after that. So have a think about if you've got something else you want to contribute. I uh, don't have a PhD in evolutionary biology, <laughs> but I did one year, two years of a science degree. So there you go. Um, <laughs> but I found, um, so I loved reading about creation and evolution all the time and was always particularly in a, in a camp of saying, I, yeah, I think um, evolution and uh, faith can sit together um, and found myself in at least three conversations with people who I assumed shared my view and then found out they were they they believed in a six thousand year old earth and and um I think I found it really difficult to navigate those conversations in a healthy way I think um I it became very um my arguments versus your arguments and and kind of we were really stuck in in um in a real black and white sort of thinking um. Now, I'm going to ask the, the, the second question first. Um, a key idea that um, I kind of butted against um, quite a lot was this idea of God of the gaps, which is basically if we've got this picture of the history um, of the natural world that science paints, there are gaps in our understanding, in scientific, I say our as if I'm part of the scientific community, but uh, there, there's gaps in that understanding, yeah? And the temptation um, can often be to go, uh-oh, we don't know how this happened. Quick, let's put God in that gap, and that'll be the explanation for how um, life emerged. Not how life evolved, but how life emerged. We'll say God did that. And the danger of that um, was that it just keeps getting, the, your picture of God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller the more the gaps get understood by science. And um, I... I think it was um, Galileo has this quote of like, there's the book of God's word and the book of God's works. And um, science is this picture that tells us about God's work and there's God's word and they're not separate things, but actually that we can um, integrate them together. So all my rambling to say, one thing that I found really powerful and that has kind of, integrated with this spirit series that we've done is um, the word for spirit, um, the Hebrew word is, is ruach, which actually also translate as breath or wind. And um, for me to picture this evolutionary story um, where the kind of spirit of God is a presence that kind of hovers over the whole picture instead of just being punctuated in these little gaps um, was a really powerful idea for me. Um, and, and in my mind, that was like paying tribute to um, the, the poetry that we see in Genesis as well, of the spirit hovering over the waters, um, is kind of this idea of a God that brought order out of chaos um, and that we can use, as um, Will was saying, like the evolutionary picture is a wonderful way of describing that. And, and I found that really powerful. Um, which kind of um, led me into the practice as well. Like, um, as with Will, like being in nature became this um, incredibly 
um, spiritual experience for me in a way that I, I always really struggled and probably still do really struggle to kind of resonate with the divinity of Jesus. Like, it's always been something really hard for me to, to have to feel on a personal level. Um, but to be able to go um, for a walk or whatever and then look at a leaf and because of science know that it's far more complicated than just a leaf, that there's incredible systems and, and, and um, processes and molecules and, and everything going on in there. Um, and in that same moment, hearing this wind blow through the trees, and if we've got this idea of spirit being wind, being breath, like they're all um, this same picture of a God who is present through the whole natural history of our of our world and and I found that a, a really um, big picture and um, uh, what's the word integrated idea like it, it it moved it stepped above these conversations that I'd always found myself in of going yeah um, you know yes of course it's not six thousand years old carbon dating and they're saying that carbon dating is not real and 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 um, and it just it just felt like being able to take a step back and um, have a, a a much more um, gracious conversation is, is the word. Um, yeah, uh, who, who's been helpful in that? Um, so Alice, Alistair McGrath, I'm just also very aware that, um, so Francis Collins and, and um, John Lennox were people who are real important for me in my thinking as well. Um, a guy called Alistair McGrath as well. Um, I think all of these people um, are, white men in their 60s um, who are either at Oxford or Harvard or something like that. Um, so I, I recognize that that's not also not a full picture and that um, of, of the people who have done thinking on this, um, I want to name that. But I also want to um, recognize that though those people kind of were important and put language to things, I also felt that um, actually what we learn from um, just being immersed in the natural world and having an in inquisitive mind, which really is at the root of science, um, was was more of a teacher, or in in many ways, than a lot of these people and and their kind of very academic ideas were. Um, yeah. And now Will's going to correct all my science. <laughs> Did anyone else have anything they wanted to share? Again, just to rem remind us that um, the, heart, the heart of this month, I guess, is to try to think about the series and how it's impacted us and how um, we perhaps have found ways to re-engage with, with the Holy Spirit. And if, if for you, as if, yeah, if, if you have a science background, are there ways in which the series has enabled you or opened up possibilities for, for reconnection? Um, or are there still questions that you have? Yeah, Louise. Um, I think we're just opening up a whole Pandora's box here with interest and uh, maybe a new series coming up. But the whole topic of science and, and Christianity or, or belief, faith, is huge. And uh, as Josh talked, it reminded me of um, my year 12, which is a long time ago, where I was studying um, philosophy and history and biology and how 
what Voltaire was saying, for example, was very thoughtful about, you know, insightful about his um, philosophy of, of life and creation and so forth, and at the same time, you know, going into the biology room and into, um, what are they called? It, bisecting rats and, and looking at the wonder of um, creation. You know, it was an amazing... Um, they met, you know, that wasn't a conflict. And then fast forward a few years later, I was studying in London at a theology school and we did a whole unit on science and the Bible and, and that was incredible, you know, just seeing what what actually is in the text and can be proved by science as well, you know, either historically or theologically or so forth. And then fast forward again this year, we were up in the... Um, the northern Queensland in the volcanic tubes, um, walking through these million-year-old creation um, things, tubes that have been created by lava, you know, millions of years ago and seeing dinosaur bones at uh, eons. And, and yet seeing those actually made me wonder and appreciate God and this, the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and sort of came alive. Um, and I haven't been here for the whole series, but... I think, you know, just tapping in here and there, it's just really magnified the, the fact that the Spirit, having the Holy Spirit, it's sort of like a magnifying glass, you know. It's sort of, wow, you know, just walking around and seeing all these incredible things. And I can remember when I first experienced the Holy Spirit just being in touch with nature again, and that's coming through with this story that, you know, being in touch with God's creation is um, just the Holy Spirit magnifies that. Um, so, yeah, that's my comment. <laughs> it's funny, I was thinking about what Will was saying about um, some people see science as, as kind of reducing and um, being this kind of violent imposition on nature and then for others, um, their understanding of science actually gives us an incredible sense of connection to, um, to nature and, a, and a, a deeper sense of, of love for nature. And I think... Um, one of the problems with this conversation is that, like, science is one thing and faith is one thing, um, whereas that's not the case. You know that there are there are forms of science that I think are violent in terms of their engagement with nature and spirit, and forms of science that that are not. And there are forms of faith that are kind of violent and reductionistic in in the engagement with science, and there are forms of faith that are not. So it's we're not talking about two. Things we're talking about um, a very complex relationship that we're trying to look at. I'll go to Annika and then to Bell. Yeah. I think something that's been um, really significant for me this year has been thinking about the way um, study is a practice of faith for me. Um, and I want to preface this by being like, nature is not my thing. <laughs> I'm very much an inner city girl. As much as I love being in nature, like it's just that that doesn't work for me. And I've tried so hard to be like, yeah, nature, yeah, spirit, yeah. And it's, it's just like not my vibe. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, great. Um, but something that's been massively transformational for me has been um, Simone Wheel. Simone Whale. Um, she has a wonderful essay on this, the spirituality of study. Um, and about um, faith as a kind of paying attention. 
And um, that's been so transformative for me in terms of thinking about not approaching um, science theologically, but approaching theology scientifically and having that kind of that inquisitiveness, that um, curiosity about what is there to learn from um, theology that is real and true and meaningful. Um, and that's been kind of my journey this year has been about looking at the way that I study theology and um, seeing how much more alive that has been for me than um, previous ways of trying to engage with my faith as, you know, not thinking about it or not engaging with it on that level. But kind of even that realisation that, like, like scientifically, my brain is wonderful. <laughs> and to dedicate that to the study of something um, that is looking for meaning in the world has been, it sounds very esoteric, but like, yeah, I've got a year of science as well, so like not a PhD in anything yet. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's just been sort of my take on um, study and science and faith. Um, I think my experience has been, um, yeah, coming from a church that was never really spiritual and it was all very heady, um, and then kind of having a, a few experiences um, of spirit stuff and not kind of knowing where to place it, and then having um, experiences of people with mental illness having these um, quite extreme kind of spiritual experiences and then not knowing where to place that and how they both fit together. And so I kind of retreated back into my heady kind of faith um, and not wanting to, yeah, uh, being wary of experiencing things um, and being open to the spirit, um, whatever that mental looked like. Um, and then it wasn't until I kind of had my brush with mental illness and um, was recommended to do uh, meditation for um, like depression and anxiety stuff that I I went into this and it was very um, very sciencey medical like this is what it does to your brain it um, like increases the size of the amygdala and all these fun things um, and it was kind of in that that I was like oh this is um, actually such a, a beautiful way to um, uh, connect or, or like open up spiritually, I suppose. Um, and it was actually Science Mike who kind of um, started, I f first heard talking about these kinds of things and how, um, yeah, how prayer and meditation are so, so similar and what if, um, what if prayer is about keeping your brain healthy and, um, yeah, so kind of building those two things but also in turn opened up me to having this meditation experience and allowing it to be a little bit spiritual, like kind of opening up to that as well. Thanks, B. Bill. Um, I found that I'm just, I have a real cynical limp, <laughs> which can be so problematic at times, but um, I thought a lot about how there's like in um, the Bible, um, the speaking of tongues and the, like, they could understand all the different languages because of the spirit and there's that passage and I, I can't really repeat the word for word. But um, the only experience I've ever felt like may, helped me make sense of something like that is when I was overseas and I was with a bunch of people from all different places and we went on this massive hike and we were in the middle of just the most dense... 
um, forest and none of us could really communicate that well with each other. Like the language barrier was high. But we all had this really beautiful succinctness about the experience being mystical and different than anything else we'd had. And I feel like, especially when um, um, Josh and Will were saying, like, there's something about the spirit of nature that does that. It was like that was a way that I felt like, oh, I really can understand this, the, the idea of spirit or mysticism or something different like that um, by experiencing it with people unlike me from many different areas and many different places and yet knowing there was something that connected us somehow. Bell. I've only been here twice, but uh, my name's Mark, and I actually don't live in the city. I live 150 kilometres north of Melbourne, a little village called Strathbogie. I've been around there for about 30 years, and um, I come down to Melbourne, and I was looking for a church, and Heather Hogg suggested I come here. That's why I'm here. Uh, I used to live on 200 acres of uh, rough granite country. When I bought this land, I established a honey, uh, hobby farm. But I decided <coughs> that my philosophy was if I leave this property, it has to be better than when I got it. And it was very degraded. My first rabbit kill was 5,000 rabbits, if you can imagine that. And, um, but I planted 4,000 trees on that piece of land. And uh, I'm no longer there. I live in the village now on one acre. But uh, I come to the city, but I find that uh, after about a week, I can't breathe. And I head for home. Opposite my house is Spring Creek, so I can wander down the Spring Creek. And uh, I have no fences around my place, so I have wombats wandering through, koalas occasionally, wallabies. And so that's how I live. But I'm also a fifth-generation sawmiller, which kind of... Um, I live very much in a group of people who are extreme left environmentalist, for want of a better thing. I consider myself an environmentalist, but up near us they're trying to have the Strathbogie forest closed. We've seen it all in the newspaper. Uh, and I've been a lone voice... <laughs> Not the opposite, but to say we need to think about it. We need to talk about it. I grew up in the Open Brethren, and at about 18, I, this evolution stuff and all the conservative stuff I challenged. I, I, my, I'm not a scientist. I'm double history major, uh, economics. And, um, and that's been my journey all my life, continually. I've battled a lot of church fights been kicked out of a church, um, but now I'm re really retired, I'm no longer in a church at all, and I spend an hour a day on YouTube reading the great theologians, Thomas Merton, it kind of leads you on and on and on, but I spend that day, and um, I find that so often that, that we've got the conservative fundamental religious stuff that I grew up with, but also on the other scientific side, we get this conservative fundamentalist thinking that we somehow have lost the ability to dialogue. 
and we've got to get back to that. Do my my father, my I'm a fifth generation. My grandfather logged and ran a sawmill in uh, northwest Tasmania. His forest now is a nature reserve. So, and he looked after his forest. He kept all trees for seeds. And so there is a way in which we can properly manage and do environmentalism. And that's, for me, um, I came across Thomas Merton. I mean, I knew about him, but I read a lot more about him. And it seemed all the mystics very much seemed to be connected with nature, that it was part of their nature. And let me finish. This is Thomas Merton's prayer. Does anybody know Thomas Merton's prayer? I'll read it to you. Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean I'm actually doing so, but I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that that desire and all that I'm doing, I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire but I know that if I do this, you'll lead me by the right road. I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost. And in the shadow of death, I will, fear, I will not fear, for you're with me and you'll never leave me to face my perils alone. And I guess that's kind of where I sit. I don't know whether I'm following God. I never, you know... Uh, when I was in theological college, my principal said one day, let's not get ourselves, we're called by God. You know, there's lots of motivations that called us here. And uh, we're on that road. Thanks, Mark. I might finish with Alan. You wanted to say something? Yeah, you might just finish with Alan. I'm sorry if you've also got something to say. I don't really have a science background either, although I work in engineering. Um, but as a you know, Christian teen attending a Pentecostal church, and going to high school, I was always a target of, oh, so you're a Christian, so you must disagree with everything you learn in science class then and, and everything. And I don't know how, but somehow I sort of, I didn't get that whole religion versus science thing. Like somehow, along with many other things I was suppo apparently supposed to believe as a Christian, I missed that day somewhere. And so all the way through, I'm just like, I, I, my, my sort of initial thinking on it was, well... Why would you object to science? Like, all you're going to learn is more about what God has done. And I really like Josh's point about, you know, science being the book of God's works as opposed to the Bible being the book of God's word. I, I, yeah, quite like that one. But um, there's been, a, like, just a very subtle shift in the last few years from, you know, originally, I guess, like, the way I would sort of mentally reconcile it was, oh, you know, there, there might be things that I disagree with, um, you know, that science thinks is true and I don't because it conflicts with my faith. But um, the way I reconcile it was, oh, well, you know, the more we research it, the more we'll realise that what we think now might be wrong and so that there is a, you know, you find more about God behind it. But um, there's been a subtle shift in the last little while to um, realising, and particularly the, the series we did on the Bible here a little while ago was massively helpful in that to realise that, yeah, like I, I, I can now look at the Bible differently and rather than look at it as a source of, you know, our... Um, unquestionable truth, but just look at it as a, um, yeah, like, written by people that were trying their best to understand what they saw, trying to make, make the best attempt at explaining it that they could, and just like our science, 
you know, like our science, like what we believed 100 years ago in science has just shifted and moved and everything else. And to try and hold the Bible to that, you know, you know, we, we accept that with science. We go, okay, well, 50 years ago we thought this, but now science is, you know, the, the current science says this. And then realise that we're trying to hold the Bible to an impossible standard going, well, 2,000 years ago they believed this and we have to hold to that. We can't let go of that in the light of new evidence and realising, well, that, that doesn't seem to make sense. Like I need to, I, I, I think I need to be able to put that aside and go, that's what they interpreted and that's how they understood it and I can learn from that as far as, you know, what, what that taught them about God but to try and take that as literal science and use that to override, you know, more modern science just seems absurd to me now. Thanks, Alan. And thanks, everyone, for your contributions. Um, conscious of the time, so we might finish pretty soon. I just want to say, I guess, two very, very quick things. Um, the first, I guess, relates to what V was saying, uh, that I think in, in areas where um, we feel pulled in different directions or we feel like we have different strong voices in our head or um, we feel um, confused about practices that are going to um, be healthy for us or not healthy for us, that are going to um, engage with spirit, um, that finding this overlap between what science will say is healthy for us and what the Bible says is healthy for us um, is a is a really fantastic goal to have. Um, so things like meditation, things like the experience of awe in nature, things like um, trying to remain present, all of these things are things that science tells us, neuroscience tells us are incredibly good for our bodies and our brains um, and which with, I guess, passages of, uh, of the Bible like the one we looked at today, you can see Jesus resonating in a sense with some of that brain science of saying, don't, don't worry, stay present, stay in the now, don't project into the future all of your anxieties because that will undermine your ability to, to flourish. Um, so there is that, that way in which we can um, seek to find paths of health and paths of flourishing that... Um, yeah, that resonate with a kind of a desire to engage with science, but which also resonate with, with faith and the tradition that we have. Um, so I guess I want to yeah, encourage us not to, to, to go, I guess, go with the flow of, of our, our nature and our brains and go if there are, if there are forms of practice that really speak to, to all parts of ourselves, then those are the forms of practice to pursue. But I guess the other quick thing is that um, that with Jesus um, you can't you can never reduce what Jesus says to brain health um, you can never reduce what Jesus says to um, to a sense of um, personal individualistic flourishing um, but that even in this passage we see notions of health combined with notions of meaning uh, that Jesus is, and story Jesus is saying, all of this is part of a story of the coming kingdom of God, um, a, the journey that all of reality is moving towards. Um, and you also can't extract it from relationship, um, that ultimately for Jesus there is an Abba God behind everything, 
um, that there is a relationship at the heart of all things, as Kat said so beautifully in her song, the good book tells us that we are not alone. The one who is love has called our name. And if we have a skeptical, cynical, or a scientific background, um, engaging with that story and believing in the reality of that fundamental relationship with a, a person of love is always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be ways in which um, things that we're called on to believe as people of faith are going to make the scientific part of ourselves feel foolish. Um, there's no neat, there's never a neat resolution between these parts of ourselves. Um, but, um, yeah, that are just, I guess, foregrounds the need for us to keep talking, to keep um, to keep moving forward, and I guess um, it relates to what Annika was saying, um, to try to to engage with with trust rather than fear with all of these questions. Um, that that uh, I think a lot of us were raised to feel a strong sense of fear when we were confronted with certain types of questions, when we were confronted with certain types of information, um, and if we have the kind of God that we believe in, then we just don't need to be afraid. Um, Jesus talked a lot more about not being afraid than love. We don't need to be afraid. Um, and I, I hope that this is a community where um, we can continue to have these conversations with trust rather than fear, and we can recognize that there are no easy answers and that a lot of these conflicts and questions are going to remain open for us but that if God is the God that we believe God to be, that we can still move forward in trust and not be afraid. Um, so as I say, there were lots of other things that I was thinking I might say, but I'm not going to say any of them. But I will show you the slides that accompany what I was going to say, just to show you what you're missing out on. See? Look at that. And that one. And that. See? What a mysterious one that is. And there's that. That's human skin. Um, that's the Milky Way. That's our incredible connection to tradition. This is a representation of our connection to all things. See? How lovely was that going to be? And there's a spirit behind all things. Um, I'll think of a way of trying to put that into a weekly note. <laughs> Uh, so if you're not part of the Facebook group, you're going to miss out on all of that. And if you're playing at home, you didn't see any of the slides. So there. Um, let's have communion to finish. I mean, one of the great dangers of of this constant engagement with science is that you do end up just reading a lot of older straight white guys. Um, there was this incredible um, quote from Aileen Morton Robinson who was speaking at the Broadside Festival this week and um, she's an indigenous writer. If you don't know what the Broadside Festival is, that's okay. Um, but she said, um, for indigenous people in Australia, survival and hope can only come from a greater connection to the land. We will not survive while we continually think we are worth more than every other living thing. 
Lots of different cultures have relationships with non-human others. The earth is not an inert thing. Once you have a concept of that, everything is alive. Where you walk, how you treat the earth is how you treat every living thing. I just think we need to just keep listening to all the voices. If you take anything away from this rambling day of lots of voices, it's just keep listening to all the voices. Um, yeah, listen to older straight white scientists, but also listen to our indigenous brothers and sisters and remember that if, if God is who we believe God to be, then um, God will speak to us through all those voices. And we are tiny, tiny creatures on this incredibly obscure planet in an obscure galaxy in an obscure part of the universe. And, um, and yet we are precious. I think science tells us that and scripture tells us that, that we are so insignificant and we are so precious at the same time. On the cross, Jesus said, um, God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um, which is such a beautiful way <laughs> to finish today, just to remind ourselves that we just don't know what we're doing. Um, and yet, if we believe that behind all things there is love holding us, then we can still feel okay, even though we don't know what we're doing, even though things are continuing to unfold into a future where everyone will look back and wonder what we were thinking with everything that we thought. It can be incredibly depressing unless you believe that there is love and kindness and goodness underneath it all, holding it all and redeeming it all. Um, and that's what we see in the cross, I believe. The symbol of uh, redeemed brokenness. So with that in mind, um, yeah, come forward. What we do is people crack the crackers with their knuckles and take a little piece and they take a little cup and then when everyone has one and we're in a little circle of love, then um, I'll pray and we'll eat and drink together. Again, if you don't want to participate, that's fine. Um, and whatever you believe, you're welcome to participate if you want to. So come forward, please, if you want. So let's pray. Loving God, in the table that we have made, we have committed ourselves to move in the direction of mess. So um, I thank you for the mess of this morning and for the beauty of this morning, um, for all the voices that spoke around um, such a massive topic. And um, there's part of me that, that thinks about all the voices from this morning and thinks, oh, what are we going to take away from today? Um, what's the kernel of truth that we can hold in our hand and take out into the week ahead of us? I don't know. <laughs> but I pray that in, in the many voices that speak into this community and in, in the messiness, um, in the play, that you might help us to rest in the fact that you are in and through it all, loving us, holding us, um, that we can remain playful and curious um, because you hold us through all things. Um, and so we pray this in, in the name of Jesus who died for us. Amen.